Hello everyone, this episode of Boothcast is brought to you by Booth Training. Now, if you want to become a better paddler, no matter what your level, whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or a pro, I'm here to help you get better. Uh, my programs are structured around my years of training over the past 20 years. I've got a lot of experience in stand-up paddling, in surf ski, in kayaking, and in surf life saving. So I can basically create any type of training plans for those events based on my experience and based on, I guess, my ability to be able to coach myself to a few European world and uh, national titles. So if you'd like to find out more, please check out www.michael-booth.com.au and click into the booth training section. There's a whole bunch of stuff on personalized training, group training, um, technique analysis, basically whatever you need to become a better paddler, I should be able to help you with. And if you have any questions, just get in contact with me. Now I'm gonna throw you over to my interview with Nick Gray and Lincoln Jews about their adventure in New South Wales recently. Hello and welcome to Boothcast. On Boothcast, I speak to people who've inspired me about sport, business and the winning mindset. Today on Boothcast, I have Lincoln Jews, a world sub champion and a previous guest on Boothcast. And I have Nick Gray, the first ever sub paddler to cross the Bass Strait. Uh, these guys have just recently uh, completed the Nam Boida River Crossing. Uh, it's about a 200 kilometer paddle down the river. No one's ever done it before. So I thought I'd get these guys on um, to tell us a little bit about their adventure and their journey and all the things that uh, led from it. So guys, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. So, uh, so can you give us a little bit of a uh, background, Nick, on uh, why you guys decided to do this and um, how it all came about? Well, I guess... For me, I, uh, you know, I've sort of been in SUP only for five or six years now. And uh, I guess, you know, just it was a bit of a facing my own fears thing. That's why I started it in the ocean. Um, and the SUP, I was able to sort of go further and further. You know, you start doing little paddles and then bigger and bigger. And, and next thing doing, you know, like getting home, you know, the adrenaline rush from being out there with no other means of getting back and then, you get back and just get that hit of endorphins and, and just makes you, it's really addictive. And so for me, that's what sort of led to going a little bit further and a little bit more and uh, eventually into the Bass Strait, you know, it was the Everest of paddles for me. And um, I guess sort of, yeah, that, that got a little bit recognised, that paddle. And, um, and around that time I was into sailing as well. And that's how me and Link met um, uh, through sailing. He come and jumped on my boat and we did a little bit of, he helped me, showed me how to basically use my own ropes on the boat, talked about the paddle and uh, that's where things started to crystallise and I knew he wanted to do a paddle somewhere and I, was, I said, you know, I'm, I'll be keen to help you. I wasn't going to get involved in the paddle myself, still carrying my own injuries from Bass Strait, but um, yeah, I couldn't refuse this last one. Yeah, so speaking of uh, Bass Strait, that's a, about a 250-kilometre or something paddle between the southern tip of Victoria down to Tasmania. Um, you attempted that twice. Was this sort of adventure something that really excited you or you just basically were going along to, to sort of um, be a part of Lincoln's journey this time? I didn't really have time to get excited. You know, Link come up with it about three weeks before <laughs> he wanted to leave. And so... I didn't want to not be a part of it at the same time. I just knew it was going to be exciting and, and an, a major adventure. You know, whitewater rapid, 200 kilometres long in the middle of winter. It's, it's nothing. He's never done that before and I've never done this before. 
and you know that links a world champion paddle but to even you know be asked along for the ride was was exciting so um you know i, I didn't say no I, I jumped straight on and um yeah, I'm not regretful, but uh, yeah. I definitely carried those injuries still. <laughs> and, and what injuries do you have from the Bass Strait? Yeah, just from training because that went on for a couple of years. You know, as you know, we, we went once and uh, didn't quite get there. We just got smashed with weather halfway. And so I trained for six months to a year for that and then not to get there and then decided I wanted to go again. So I was nearly two years and uh, doing sort of 100 kilometres a week in, in the peaks, peak times yeah. there. So, uh, you know, you name it, inflamed bursa and um, intersection syndrome in the wrist and just other normal paddling uh, things that you carry along. So it become a bit of a management thing for me. And I had that when I went back to Bass Strait. Yeah. But um, it only took me about a month to forget how... I, I, I thought I was on top of those things. And, uh, yeah, but anyway, you had when me and Link did this Nimboida, a 30 kilo pack onto a blow up sup after going, coming straight off a race up. Um, yeah. Definitely had its challenges. It was a completely different ball game than just going out for a paddle on, you know, a carbon fiber board in the ocean with the wind behind you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I know those inflatables are a little bit harder to paddle. And I can only imagine paddling them down a river uh, about five kilometers an hour, as Lincoln was telling me just before we came on air. So Lincoln, it sounds like it was all your idea. You sort of uh, threw you both in the deep end. You went up, I know you went, both went up on a sailing trip um, just before the event and you were doing a little bit of training in, in your board shorts in the warm weather. And then you jump in the deep end, you're sort of going into a, a really cold um, river system. Can you tell us about like your idea and, and why you really wanted to do this? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one, actually. Um, I guess I've always, like, from from the early days of stand-up, I've always kind of admired guys and really kind of been inspired from a lot of different aspects outside of the racing, whether it's a lot of the adventure stuff, et cetera. And, it, and with a bit of sailing background and all those kind of things where you're out in the elements for multiple days at a time, it, it, has, it has its kind of um, draw doing multi-day trips, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of time at home and a lot of time not racing, it's like a, I really wanted to kind of spend it doing other stuff and trying to do things like this that I've never, I've never done and try to push myself in my paddling in different ways. Right. And this river is something I, I'd, I'd heard about it before here and there, but I'd never actually researched it or actually looked it up and just kind of came by luck. I was just scrolling through stuff one day and, just looking for things to do and I saw the river and it was one of those, it kind of seemed one of those challenges that was like, like you always have those bucket list things, right? Where you go, Oh, like I'd love to do that one. Day. I'd love to do that one day. And I guess like something dropped last month and I was like, kind of sick of sitting there just going, Oh, I wish I, oh, I'd like to do that one. I'd like to do that. And, and I stuff it. We'll go and do it. I knew, I knew I could convince Nick. Um, he, I knew he's a pretty easy sell with this kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I just threw the option. I actually threw Nick the option when we first looked at the maps and it, it suggests it's like an eight day, eight day trip. So I, I had my, went, came in it with this kind of idea that we'd, we'd plot along, we'd paddle for six, eight hours each day and, and we'd do it in, in eight days, maybe seven. Nick's first message back to me was, oh, we should be able to do that in four, three or four days, right? So yeah. that kind of set the, I guess, set the, um, the tone of the trip, right? Like we we had no idea what we we're doing kind of like leading into it. And it's like, it's hard to get excited about something like that. Cause there's so many different aspects and, and, but 
yeah, we like, we kind of went into it with the goal of just trying to push ourselves and just trying to, I guess, see what we can do. And for me personally, that was kind of it to see if I go for four days. I could, I could push myself paddling for four or five days. And, and Nick, with his experience of the Bass Strait doing eight and a half, nine hour days on the board back to back to back, like he's, he's very good with that. And he kind of knows, knew the pace to go, et cetera. And, and kind of has an idea of, I guess, like, yeah, what it takes to be able to just continue to back up. So it was, it was an experience. Um, probably won't do anything that extreme with no kind of prep again, but yeah. um, never say never. No, nah, it was, it was cool. It was, a, it was a pretty special kind of four days. Yeah. It sounds like it was a quite an interesting um, adventure altogether. Like you sort of had so many different elements that you had to face like what was probably like the, like, did you, did you have to do a lot of planning for this? Like I saw your um, packs that you set up before you went on and you had like all your, you have to take all your food because basically you get dropped off and then you, you probably don't see anybody for the four days or the 84 hours or whatever it was that mm. you guys were out there. Yeah, we didn't. And all honesty, we didn't see anybody for four days, except there was one guy, one guy on a ridge, maybe on the last day, like after we paddled for, for four days yelling out to us, but <laughs> yeah it, there's a lot there's a lot that goes into that and I think for Nick and I like we were very naive and that was kind of almost a blessing in disguise like we I think we both agree we kind of got through unscathed like there's a bit of luck that went our way for all of all the setbacks there was a lot of luck to get through safely um like coming from a I guess a sailing background and extensive safety aspects of that like we we were very well prepared safety wise with all the like all the PLBs and all the electronic equipment and, and the skills to be able to navigate, et cetera, without maps. But there's just so much that goes into one of these. Like it's, it's a strange, it was a strange experience. Like 200 Ks on an inflatable board paddling 12 hours a day. Like that's not, that was the least of our concern. That's like the bit that we've gone, Oh, we can, we can paddle. We can, we can do that. But the camping while you're wet, trying to dry the stuff, like try dry your wetsuits out. Um, food um being able to paddle in a freshwater environment was so different being able to like survive in a freshwater environment was so different there's so many different aspects that go into it and we like and that's and that's not even talking about like swift water rapids like we basically went into the first day with no no experience in that and that it was daunting at times but i think it was daunting like it, it the first day was was funny right so we've like gone into the first couple of rappers just wide-eyeing going oh how great is slipping through like like yeah i think we both ended up upside down 100 meters down the river but um under the moon we were pretty gone home and it wasn't until the second day when nick had a bad fall and i ran straight into a rock that we like we sat down and we thought about it and gone oh my god like if what are we doing like we've been so lucky up to this up that first day to kind of get away with dumb luck and it kind of really sat in, sunk in when we made mistakes that second day we're going oh, we're out here like if somebody pops a knee out or if somebody falls but it's it is 10 hours of paddling until we can get evacuated like it's not i can't just call someone and get them to pick us up on the road it's like a helicopter in or you're, you're paddling out for 10 hours so that there was a lot of that kind of realization as we went um you're going oh my god we've all right, now we need to be more careful. Now we, we've seen the risk. We've got to be more careful. But it was, I guess, like having the dumb luck from early on, like we, with the planning and stuff, it, it kind of made it easier in that regard. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And how, and how like much water was in the river at the time? Like, was it, um, like, was it full? Was it empty? Um, like, I know. I'm, I'm positive it was way lower. Than <laughs> it to be. Like that, I'm, that's not, yeah. I looked nah. up rapid supping online a lot before we left to try and learn yeah. how to do it. And they were all floating, yeah. all of those guys. Yeah. We smashed our main fins out of our boards within an that's hour on that very first day. Like just smashed them out on rocks. And, and so we paddled the entire distance with no fins. You know, I had two little side fins. So, you know, snaking up the river on the flat bits. But um, every single rapid, we were running into rocks. So I'm, that, I don't think that's normal. I think maybe if there's another 500 to a metre of water going through there, yeah. uh, it would be a different scene. But we spent a lot of time on our feet. You know, you'd fall off, end up in the water, you're getting dragged along the rocks your board's upside down with your 30 kilo pack hanging off it. So you're trying to correct it while you're trying to not, you know, hit your knees and elbows getting dragged over these rapids. Um, and that got me by surprise. You know, I only had to get dragged over a few to realize that they were real rocks. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and then I finally did a bust my knee on one on the second day. And that's uh, Link was saying before that's, I had no leg for a whole day and that's when we went, well, he sort of said, how bad is it? Do you need to stop? And I said, well, what if I did? Because, you know, what are we going to do? Push the EPIRB? Like, we yeah. can't get, I'm not getting a helicopter here. <laughs> we just got to keep going. Like, and so uh, the calculation, checking the waterfalls, we'd get off um, the board pretty religiously after that and go and check and make sure we could see the other side of what we were about to descend, make sure there was flat water on the other side, see what rocks were poking out rather than just paddling up and, and going down it. River levels for anybody else who was thinking of doing it, uh, definitely after, after rain and maybe uh, in the middle of the summer, it would be another yeah. good idea. Yeah, because yeah, I'm, I'm looking at your um, race pack here and um, I'm going to share it up now so people can have a look. Uh, it's on Lincoln's Instagram page. But so this is basically, I think you guys can see it now. This is basically everything that you guys took. So you get your helmet, your life jacket, your, your camelback, obviously your food. But is your food just like processed powders and that type of thing? Is that, is that what you're using? Yeah. So it's, a, it's like a freeze dry. It's like a pretty common, I guess, outdoor um, kind of setup. Um, we yeah, do yeah. use it a lot yacht racing. Basically it is, yeah, it's just a frozen meal. It actually, it, You'd be surprised how good it tastes when you're uh, when you're out there and you'll, you'll eat anything. Um, I yeah. think Nick was saying that he was going to eat it at home after yeah. after day three. But um, yeah, yeah basically, water tastes like gold when you're uh, when you need oh, something yeah. in your mouth. That's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, now nah, um, basically it's just that you just add hot water and it kind of absorbs all the water, um, yeah. and then you go from there. So we're running those. We're running um, a bit of porridge in the mornings, um, coffee and we had a few, like Nick, we had some avocados and a few bits of fruit and stuff and nuts, but that was, yeah, that was about it. No, quite, the fresh food was quite heavy, mm. um, was what we learned. Because I, I just wasn't sure how those dehydrated meals would go. And so wanted to be over prepared and we took a heap of fresh food, but it, it weighed about five kilos out of extra food I got. So, you know, it was, it's a lot um, when you're trying to keep your pack light and um it turns out now if if it, if it went again and for anyone else looking those dehydrated meals they're, they're fine you know and they're very light until you add the water to them um yep. and we were just getting the water out of the river uh with those filter bottles so you know you fill the bottle and the filters in the lid 
yeah squeeze that in and then boil a little jet boiler and uh yeah well, i'd be looking forward to that meal each day <laughs> i haven't had, i haven't had one since i got home <laughs> no, I, I, I can imagine you wanted to have a bit of real food. I, I can see Lincoln took his toothbrush, which is a good boy. I'm, I'm glad you're keeping up personal hygiene on the river. Um, so you've basically got a few phones here. Uh, you've obviously got a sat phone, um, EPIRB, and obviously a navigation um, device as well. So yeah, is that yeah. how you were choosing? Because I'm not sure what the river systems are like, and I'm sure there's a few turns that you could basically make wrong. Did you ever take a, a wrong turn down the river? Yeah, twice. Twice. Um, the one, the one bit of information that advice that Nick and I both received was, um, was just follow the flow. Um, yep. This video here was probably a good example. Like first day, like yeah, this kind of flat section, and we ended up in this, this little offshoot like this, dodging trees and kind of you can't even paddle in that. As you can see, you're just dragging your board. You're kind of like just manhauling your board around to get back into the river. Yeah, it looks like you're pretty stuck and your your pack's sort of dragging through. You look you look like you got lots of uh, energy at this stage as well. Yeah, it was pretty. That was still, that was still pretty humorous to us at that stage. That one because it was early on, so we were having a laugh. And then uh, it, it wasn't that funny later on when we ran out of daylight <laughs> and we still weren't where we needed to get to. Resulted in some nighttime paddling, which we ended so, up doing so, every night anyway. So, so what time of day did you start each day? Uh, we, it was, that was actually another thing that caught us off guard because it was so freezing cold. Uh, you know, we, we, and in that river, in the, in the valley, I mean, the hours of daylight were really only seven o'clock, um, and getting dark again at five, you know, the, the sun just wouldn't come up and it went down so early with all the mountains. So first up in the morning, um, it was the second morning that we actually got a bit of a fright with Link. Uh, it, went, it was going minus five degrees sort of thing, like properly cold. And we're, we're finishing paddling at nine o'clock at night. So you don't have a chance to get your wetsuit dry. We went, didn't have a fire. It's set up your bivy in your sleeping bag while you're still wet uh, with your wetsuit gear on. And then when it's ready, quickly strip off and just dive in before it gets freezing. So in the morning, we, uh, we got gung-ho and, you know, we need to go, we need to go. And, and we left at uh, sort of six o'clock um just after you know the, the sun was ready to come up and um i know link's always in front of me so i'd always get a head start on him and so i'm down the river and he just he didn't show up and i'm looking behind me thinking where is he and i'm starting to get the shits like come on we've got to go and then he still wasn't there so i stopped and then i saw him he's kneeling on his board and i'm going that's not right you know and so i got back to him and and he had a, had a little spew on his board and shivering he's i said what's wrong he says i'm cold and i could see like it's hypothermia was coming in to how quickly like wet wet suits minus zero degrees and so um we had to run a bit of a procedure and get him on the land get you know the sleeping bag back out and jacket around him and i quickly boiled the jet boiler and uh made him hold on to that and then drink you know like the warm liquid out of it um and thankfully the sun come up about half an hour later and moved him in the sun. So it took two hours to recover from that and it scared the shit out of both of us. You know, we were, we were really cautious of that cold after that. Yeah. It looked like it was a, a pretty tough experience, obviously coming into those, those final sort of sections as well. Like you sort of would have been learning things along the way. And like, as you say, when you started it, you were like, Oh, this is kind of funny. This is fun. We've gone the wrong way, you know, ha ha ha. And then you're getting about, 
don't know, two, three days in, leads to hypothermia, you're falling, you're like injuring yourself and you're sort of, you're quite novices and you realized how quickly, I guess like when you're probably in the ocean as well and you guys would both know is when you're doing downwards and how quickly you are away from everybody. Like you think you're so close to society, so close to civilization and then all of a sudden you're, you're alone, you're by yourself. If something happens, you're the, you're the sole responsibility, like you've got the sole responsibility for yourself. Is that, was that like a bit of a daunting thing at some stages? Yeah, absolutely. That was, you know, like it's the same, I guess, uh, um, Link's been there before with it uh, as I have with, with sailing. I likened it to that, you know, when you're 50K offshore in a boat um, and same if you're doing a paddle back and you're 10K out just on your sup and you don't have any other devices, um, you know, that extra fear uh, enters your head and that extra anxiety because you start calculating the risks and what could go wrong. And, and then you start realizing, well, hang on, if something goes wrong, we, we're really in trouble. Like this is where it's not a game out here. Like the, we don't have contact. And, um, and so that we did take that a lot more seriously and especially as fatigue is setting in, because that starts playing tricks on your mind as well. So, um, you know, I think, I think with Link's sailing background and, and, and my own, that's kind of what got us through that is being able to sit down and go, right, what are our risks and, and, you know, like calculate out everything from there. So. Yeah. And Lincoln, how do you deal with that mentally? Like when you're going into these situations and you're sort of, it's a bit, I guess you're emotional at the start. It's fun. You're excited. You're getting on the water. You're doing something for the first time. You're learning new things and you're like, Oh, this is easy. Like I, I've paddled like a world champion. I know how to paddle. Like Nick's paddled the Bastro. He knows what exactly what he's doing. And then you have a few little challenging um, scenarios. How do you get through that mentally? Yeah, I think that's a tricky one, right? Like for us, like I think, I think discipline, like mental discipline is a big one. And I know from like, I think Nick, like as Nick said, like we've, while we are novices with this, like we both have been lucky. We've had a lot of experience in kind of testing and, and critical situations and just being able to kind of keep that level head and kind of keep that, that mentality. Like there's no high highs and there's no low lows and you're not kind of running on the emotion. You're just kind of running in that, in that middle ground when you're, when you're fresh or when you're tired, you're kind of just keeping that, that level, that level to try and minimize exhaustion. You're not getting so we weren't getting super excited. We weren't getting depressed about, about setbacks, et cetera. And I think to like Nick's and I, my credit, like that was the one thing that we, we really did quite well and we really do quite well is just being able to keep pushing, just being able to keep, keep just clicking. One of the most mentally challenging uh, things I think I've ever done in the fact that like day in, day out, like we weren't reaching our goals. Like the first day, we, the nightfall, we were 40K, we we're 10 kilometers behind where we wanted to be. Like that's, and that's, that's two hours of paddling, two and a half hours of paddling. So all right, well, we got to paddle through the night and we, we got just to where we wanted to be, just in front of it. The next day we woke up, same thing again. At lunchtime, we were 10Ks behind one where we wanted to be after the hypothermia incident, et cetera. By sundown, we were still 10Ks behind and we had to push again that night. And then the same again the third day. Like there was no... Every day we woke up going, all right, we're, we're going to get some good miles done this this day and whether it was like the hypothermia where it cost a couple of hours or a fall or, or, a, or we got lost for two hours. Like every day there was something that was kind of set us back and just being able to have that kind of mental stability and that mental kind of fortitude not to, 
not to drop, but then not to get too excited. Just kind of keep, just keep doing, going through that process almost. Yeah. Obviously constantly going through the process and making sure that you're in control of what you can control in a way, because there are always things going to go wrong in these type of scenarios because you are sort of doing the unknown to, to both of you in a way, because you both haven't really done what water paddling before. It's not really regular that you're going out on 10, six stops paddling down rapids, telling down a freezing cold river, minus five degrees. Uh, what, like, well, I guess if you broke down the days, like how many hours did you paddle each day and why did you want to paddle it in four days? I think like when we broke down the days, it, it really turned out to be that kind of 10 to 12 hours on the board paddling each day. Um, we were taking about an hour for lunch and that's like, that goes past relatively quickly. By the time you unpack your gear, you can, that's the only opportunity you have to dry your stuff out. So you're drying stuff out. By the time you cook your meals, you let it sit for 10 minutes to, to absorb the moisture. The hour goes past, goes past quite quickly. Um, so yeah, that 10 to 12 hours a day, plus we were leaving, weren't starting until eight, nine o'clock in the morning. Like it, it did drag on at night. Um, the, I guess the goal for four days was like, it was Nick and I both, I guess, on a, on a similar page with what we want to do with this kind of stuff. It's like, if we're going to go out there and do it, we want to push ourselves to, to find out where our limits are. And that's at the end of the day, that's why we do these things. That's why these things are attractive. That's why racing is attractive. You, you're really trying to find, find yourself almost as cliche as that sounds like you really, you, you don't know what you, you don't know how far you can push yourself until you actually go there. And that was the example of this. And Nick and I were going to go out there and go out swinging for the goal came for, for four days. Um, and yeah, I guess it's, it's just a combination of that. And that's what kept us driving. Like it was four days is that time, like even from sailing, et cetera, like four days is that time where it does drag on three days. You can, the second day, all right, like you're one more day to go, but four days you go through the, the high, the first day, the second days, it really, really starts to kind of set in, go, Oh, we're here. And I've got two more days to go. So that yep. second day is tough. And by the third day, you kind of get into routine. It's just the same routine. It's wake up, eat, paddle, worry about where you're going to sleep, go to bed. So it was, yeah, it was, um, it is a tough, it was a tough distance. And it like, it definitely was a tough time, especially, especially at points when we were going so slow and we were like just following that process. Like we were, we were getting off the board, like Nick said, checking the rapids, getting back on the board. And like that, that takes so much time. So on the map, it could be like, 20 kilometers all right sweet that's four hours of paddling we'll knock it over but the four rapids in that 20 kilometers mean you're off the board for 10 minutes looking and you get back on the board and then you you do a two hours and you have a 10 minute break and it, it all all those little things add up so there was times we were wow like if we keep going this speed it'll be six days and then there's times obviously you're going oh well we'll be finished tomorrow but it's just that that kind of continual push to, to, I guess, to see we were just going to keep going that 12 hours a day. And if it took us four days, it took us four days, but we were, we were going to go and, and give it everything we had. Yeah. And Nick, did you find um, your limit at any point out there? Like I know you said you had a few falls and you were sort of testing yourself out in, in very, very different conditions for you. Um, was there any point there where you're kind of like, oh, like, what are we doing this for? Like, maybe I just, maybe I should have started this. Like, what, what's the point? Yeah, no, I, I, Gave Link a good speech on the third night that I'm not doing any more events and I've quit paddling. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but I, I remember making that same speech halfway across Bass Strait too. So I've got it down pat. 
Yeah. But um, it is, it's just that fatigue. And, you know, I guess I'm 39 now. Um, so Link dropped it on me halfway through that he's 24. So that was playing on me mind too. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he paddles pretty fast and he's a strong paddler. And so, I mean, I went into it, you know, knowing that I was going to be pushing myself and challenging myself. So I don't want to, um, I don't want to be the weakest link. And um, so, and that 30 kilo pack and, and, and the blow ups up, you know, it really, it really did load everything up. But um, I guess uh, it just, I, I was able to manage it, you know, it was sort of there and I knew it was there and then, and, and link helped me manage it. Uh, we worked out the pace, you know, that I could go and I, I could get six hours out, you know, really before things started to fall apart on me. And then um, just with, with the time, like having a decent 20 minute break without paddling and then like that. And um, in those events, I think uh, unlike racing where, you know, it's just go, go, go. It's very much about the one percenters. It's like just be on the board and be going forwards. You know, no, no matter what pace, even if you feel like you can't go any further, if you just if you just there, just you know, cruising along, just at talking pace, and you, and you going forwards, while you're while you're in that bad spot, you know, you've covered another three k. And you know, if you're doing that day in and day out and grabbing those one percenters the whole way through, you know, that adds up to you know thirty k or forty k by the by four days gone which is a whole day in front and you know that was really what got me through is just knowing that we were always going forwards we're always marching forwards you know no matter sort of how much um pain i got myself into um and so now that's just a management um process for me because like you know I, I do want to keep doing these events and say so, you know i've got i've got some work to do with the physio and you know might put it out there if anyone else has dealt with a inflamed Bursa and how they got over it, but um, yeah, it's going to be interesting how how to recover from here for the next one. Yeah, well, if anyone's listening out there and knows how to get over this inflamed bursa, um, please get in touch with Nick and help him out because he wants to keep doing these paddlings, these paddling ones. Except for what on the third night of the challenge, he was a bit stressed out by the sounds of things. But so it did at any point, like he's obviously get along very very well, and these sort of experiences really you sort of really finding the other person really like it's kind of like a relationship again for those four days you've got to really get along you've got to work together as a team was there any point where you sort of like got sick of each other or you you, you really worked together well as a team the whole way yeah well I, I guess one thing that was was uh was probably instrumental uh for the process was spending a fair bit of time sailing together you know we'd done a couple of long trips uh on the boat from point A to point B and uh, navigating because you kind of go through the same process. You're fatigued because if you do nonstop sailing over three days, you're still fatigued. You're still constant. You're having to concentrate. And I, I knew Link had the right um, mentality and, and um, persona about him to, to deal with high stress fatigue situations from being on the boat with him. That's, that's, I knew we would get along okay because, you know, You've got to put fatigue aside and, and be able to see eye to eye and different points of view. And uh, uh, I think I couldn't, you know, I think we worked so perfectly together in those situations, um, which is really lucky because it's really important uh, when you're getting tired to be able to do that with, with your partner who you're relying on, you know, heavily in those long paddles. And Lincoln, do you do you sort of back up Nick's um, thing, or are you, are you thinking he's a bit of a, a bit of a wanker when he was paddling? 
there, we've all been, especially with like things like sailing, things where you are fatigued, like there are points where you do, like you find a lot about people and you, you find people crumble. But Nick and I, like, I guess we, we knew coming, you know what, we've done a fair bit of fatigue sailing together. Like we knew each other weren't going to crumble and we knew that we were going to work together. And when you, it's, a, it's a lot easier when you, when you are both goal-minded and outcome-minded, you can like, like everything we were doing was, was talking forward. And I think to Nick's credit, like I had low points at times and Nick was, was positive and there was, there was no negative talk between both of us, no matter what happened. Like I think one, the last morning was probably a perfect example, right? Like we woke up, we forgot to bring a, we didn't have a lighter, a lighter didn't work. And we, so we were relying on a couple of boxes of matches to, to light the stove and they're all well and good, except the dew point. They were getting dew every night, um, real wet all day every day and one of my bags is leaking so we've survived till the last morning with these dry matches and we've woken up freezing cold all we want to do is ha have a coffee have breakfast and and we'll smash out this last 45 kilometers and we've woken up and one box box of matches are wet second box of matches are wet um it was easy. It would have been so easy for both of us to snap or one of us to snap. And Nick's first comment was, all right, well, um, we've got a bag of lollies here. We'll eat that and we'll have, we'll sort the matches out at lunch. And there was no, there was, I was a bit rattled by that. So I was like, worrying on, Oh my God, like, fuck, like oh, if these lunch matches out at lunch, we're going to go a hole that we're not going to, we're going to have like, we can eat, you can eat that stuff cold. It, it's not, I <laughs> wouldn't say it's, um, it's advised, but you can, you can put cold water in those meals and they're edible, but we're going, oh, we're going to do 50 Ks and not, and not eat. Like that, that was the mindset. What if the matches don't get, um, don't get dry? What are we going to do? Blah, 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 blah. And, and Nick's, Nick's first, like, there was no negative talk. There was no, oh, why did, why did we let, who did that? Who did that? Or why did that happen? It was like, all right, like uh, the matches are wet. We'll try our best to dry them out. We'll just keep going. Like there was, there's, and I think that that's the difference between, between guys that, do really well in those situations and the ones that start to crumble is like there was never a point where it was like why did that happen or or any of that negative like negative talk I guess around the camp it was just very much all right this is the problem doesn't matter how we got there how do we move forward and how do we fix the problem for the next one whether it was the fins or whether it was Nick falling and and hurting his knee or my hypothermia there was no like oh that set us back or now we can't do this it was like all right like how do we move forward what can we improve for next time yeah it sounds like you've worked very very well together i'm sure if i was out there and the matches weren't working i'd be definitely pointing the finger at you lincoln for letting your bag leak but uh, um but how is it how is obviously going through those different stages of the mental side of things like you're obviously dealing with a lot of fatigue as well because i know if you've paddled well, the longest i've paddled i've done like molokai or train sessions for that and they're four to five hours and you've got a lot of fatigue that's setting in as well even though you're paddling slow you're still going through those different stages of like i don't different sugar levels and that type of thing obviously if you had a lot of sugar on that last day you would have been um, really really amped up probably for that first hour and then you might have come down from that how did you deal with that through the whole process of things so you're just trying to maintain those different levels and like okay, i'm going to get through this bad period it's amazing how much it affects you the difference of what you eat in the morning and like when you stretch a paddle over 12 hours um the different highs and lows that you sort of go through and depending on what you've eaten like there was mornings there where i was just like link i'm i'm feel sick i can't i can't paddle you know i, I have no energy and 
So we'd stop and I'd simply eat, you know, maybe, you know, a, a handful of lollies and, um, and have, have a drink and maybe a powder or, and then all of a sudden be fine for, for three hours, you know, paddle strong. Um, and so we become really mindful of the way we were feeling because um, it had happened vice versa. And uh, as soon as it, there was that feeling of not quite right, we knew that we could, you know, address that with, you know, different foods or we had like apples and bananas or, you know, we like would try different things. And um, yeah, it, it always would help. Um, it, you know, we, we knew if, if we weren't feeling that good, it was probably because of food and no other reason. And every time we'd eat, it, that would usually fix it for, you know, a good portion of time. So that was interesting. Yeah, you've got to really making sure that you're keeping up the, the certain levels. But did you have that experience through sailing, um, Lincoln? Like, did you know, like, what you were going to be able to eat and what's going to be able to get you back up? Because obviously you were talking about doing the nonstop sailing events and being on the boat for long periods of time. Did you learn how to deal with this type of thing um, through, through the sailing? Yes and no. Um, paddling was certainly different because you, you are... Your, your work rates a lot higher and we both I both of us found that at night um and also sleeping in I've never slept when it's that cold before and that was something that we really kind of noticed was that like when your body's fatigued and you're out of calories at the end of the day your body's working really really hard to to go to sleep and there was one night when Nick and I were both sitting in our, our little bivvies which is like a it's like a, a waterproof sway um sleeping bag right there's not a lot of breathing space etc and the lack of oxygen and that, like we were, uh, we both were laying there panting, like heart rate high as until, until 10, maybe 12 o'clock at night, could not sleep just because the bodies were working so hard to keep warm. Um, and that's on our, our mistakes. Um, forcing yourselves to have, forcing yourselves to have those, um, those stops when, when you, you feel good and you want to keep going, you force yourself to have that little, that 20 minute rest or that 10 minute rest so you can prolong. It is just pure discipline, I think. And being aware of, of what your body feels like going, all right, I do feel like crap because, because my calories weren't right. Or maybe I haven't been drinking enough water. It is, it, it comes down to taking that emotional up and down going, Oh, I feel great. We're going to kill it for six hours. And then four hours in going, Oh, I'm crap. And just blowing up. You just want to keep that, that, that real, level head and that real kind of level everything's consistent you've just got to keep ticking over as nick said as long as you're moving forward you're moving forward and that that becomes the struggle of it when the food's not right or you're not sure about uncontrollables that's when mistakes can happen and it is important to kind of just keep it going consistent yeah well, yeah, it, it just obviously just keeping it moving your experiences, obviously in the past from racing to doing long paddles to sailing and doing all these different things. You learn how to really adapt the mind to be able to, to get through these moments because you realize how strong the mind is when the body is actually fatigued. You can actually get through these situations if you, if you know what you're doing, which you guys are, seem to know. But this was one of the, the images that I saw on Instagram. It's up on the screen now. You've got Lincoln, obviously, he said, he, believe it or not, this was the best morning we have. Moral was high until we realized the cooking equipment was damp. So this is the morning where you obviously had the matches uh, not, not um, lighting because of the dew point. And there's going to be no coffee till lunchtime. Now, I looked at this and like thought, this is horrible. And you're talking about, is this a bivy that you're sleeping in? Yeah, so this is a, it's like a bivy. So you have your, I'll let you play it. I don't know if it's, um, you have your, 
your sleeping bag and it's kind of like a waterproof top over the over the sleeping bag there's no lot of not not a lot of breathing room etc but all it does is it keeps you dry um yeah. it doesn't real in the dew it doesn't really do a great job of that either um yeah so it, it's quite <laughs> Yeah, it's it's quite confronting when you're laying in there and and it is cold, but that's kind of the only option we had because we didn't know a lot about the the banks of the river. We didn't know if there was going to be flat spots to set up tents, etc. And the Bibi is a smaller, it's like a tent without poles, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, it's funny watching this video because when I shot this, I was this is the best I thought I felt um, <laughs> until I watched it after. Oh my god! But yeah, like it was. Um, we were we were good that morning, and that was before we realised that coffee wasn't wasn't going to come. But um, I think I think Nick started eating some um, some powdered milk at that stage, so <laughs> it wasn't all bad. But um, no, it, it it is amazing, right? Like it is amazing what your mind can can take. Four days in, and after the fourth on that fourth day, when we got into routine, and after I kind of for me that huge hurdle was that morning, and that being able to do thirty k's, six hours of work on no breakfast that was for me that was a huge kind of personal hurdle of going wow if i can do four days and i can do that on the fourth morning and still be okay at the end of the day like my and i think nick is the same it's like yeah, wow our our limit isn't that like wow we we've kind of surprised ourselves in how much further we could probably go sounds silly but like we, if we were able to survive that, like, all right, like we can, what else can we do? Like, like we could, yeah. What else? Could, I guess, I don't know where we're going with that, but like it is, it was, it was a moment where we had like, wow, if we can do this, who knows? Yeah. You guys can, you guys can just paddle every river around the country. Now I think you can just do all of them. <laughs> that's, exact, that's the exact same thought process that um, you'll go from being a novice paddler and um, someone like myself who didn't come up through surf clubs or, uh, racing or competitive sports type thing. Um, it was just that, you know, as, as a novice paddler and, and being unsure about my own ability a lot of the time, you know, you go for a 2K paddle in the river and you make it back. You go for a 4K paddle in the river and you make it back. You poke your nose out in the ocean on a good day and you turn around and come in and then a little bit further and, you know, for, the, for people looking to get into it, you'll be surprised how you build up to it and each time it's, it's, it's not as bad as what it seems, you know, the, the things that you're scared of are mostly in your mind, you know, they're not out there. You can definitely be calculated with the risk and um, you can do some great things with this sport and enjoy it and go to great places and um, definitely would encourage anyone into following those channels and, and head out into the ocean, you know, point A to point B, start small and, um, and work up to these things because really if I can do it, anyone can. Yeah. What was really impressive, I think for you, Nick, and I sort of was lucky enough to be a part of your journey, um, helping you get to that sort of fitness level for the Bass Strait Crossing was how much of a novice you actually were um, when you first started. Like it was a massive feat when you first came to me and were like, I'm going to do this. I'm just like, I don't even want to do that. <laughs> but that, that sounds amazing. And then you eventually, you, you got it done on the second attempt and it was obviously a massive feat, but, then you sort of, as you say, like you, you were going out and doing like 5K pages, like, whoa, that was like massive. And then you're doing like a 10K. Then you go out and do the, the three hours and the four hours to get prepped for the event. And then you, you go down and, and do the, the days on days and get stuck on islands and all those different um, challenges that you had. But then you do that and you're like, okay, so now I can, well, if I can do that, then I can do something else. Like it's not about 
necessarily you can't do it. It's just about getting started. And as you were talking about before, just putting one stroke in front of another and getting moving and going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that, so, and like I said, that, that, that thought process of going, wow, I made it, that started back from doing two kilometer paddles and, you know, so it just leads to more and more and more. And so it makes me nervous where you go to after Nimbodia, um, the Nimboida river. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, there's a few ideas floating around and, um, yeah, I just love it so much. So hopefully yeah. can work yeah. out some of the, uh, the injuries and keep going. Yeah. So what, what, what challenges you have on the, uh, the horizon or are you keeping those tight nip and, and you, you're working them out in the background? I can throw out a few clues. I won't say too much, but it's going to be warm water and it's okay. going to be blue yeah. water and it's going yeah. to be in the ocean. So yeah, yeah. It might, might be somewhere where you went on your most recent trip. Hey, oh, yeah, that nice blue yeah, water. Probably around the right area. Yeah. Yeah. Cause somewhere um, with it, fresh fish. Yeah, <laughs> that looked that looked much nicer um, when I saw the images of your recent yacht trip. I'll um I'll get up some footage here as well of one of the tree stoppings that you got stuck in. But yeah, when you're up north and you're cruising around on your, on your yacht, it looked a bit nicer than what you were doing down the river. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so here's another another section where you got stuck. Um, so things just like getting getting sort of out of control, but you're still having a good time here. And Lincoln's gotten lost by the looks of things as well. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm having a good time here because I thought Link smashed his fin out. I didn't realise I'd also smashed mine out. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm having a joke thinking, oh, yeah, well, he's going to have no fin and I'll be able to keep up with him now. And then I lifted my board over the branch and he said, well, where's yours gone? And I was like, oh, we both had no fins. Um, did you know when you were going down the river that you needed a separate fin or did you have extra fins and did you have kick down rudders or anything like that? I saw Nick actually, before you went, you were sort of designing your own fins, essentially cutting them out out of, I don't know. I took, fins I took three, three fins. I took spares, I took spare bolts, but I smashed the entire fin box out. So oh, even no. work, there's no way to put them in. And quite frankly, they would have just got smashed out too, because even on the last day, So the fins and rapids are, and you just get used to paddling without it. So can you just go back from, um, even from the last day? Yeah. Even from the last day, uh, we were still going through hundred mil deep rapids. So there was no point putting fins back in or trying to fix anything. Even if we could, um, we just dealt with it. I still had two tiny ones on the side yep. and they were hitting every rock and, uh, and Link had no fins. So, um, very interesting on the 10 kilometer upwind flat sections. Yeah. It was really interesting for me that you guys didn't have the kick up rudders. Like obviously a lot of the, um, the river boats and the kayaks. And I only recently learning this because I, I was going to do an Avon river challenge and that got canceled recently, but they all have kick up rudders right off the back of the board. And you guys sort of had just like a normal fin at the bottom. Did you like, not really like, were you not aware of that Lincoln? No, wasn't not at all. Um, <laughs> No, I, in all honesty, that was like one of those other things that naivety, like we overlooked. Um, but it's funny, like when you're forced to paddle without without a fin for so long, I was like, I could have put mine back in when I needed to. But like yeah. by day three, like it was, it was actually fine. Like it, it surprised, you'd be surprised. Like if you're forced to paddle and you get used to paddling with no fin, granted I was changing sides every three strokes, but 
yeah, it was, it was fine. Like it felt weird putting a fin back in my race board the other day. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's actually really hard. Cause I've done that before. I was down in Melbourne paddling with a friend, uh, Mel Cameron in, in the city. And I went down to the river and had no fin. And I was like, Oh, look, I'll, I'll give it a go just to give people perspective. Mm. I'll give it a go and try and paddle my board. And I just went around in circles and I had to get off, go back, get my fin and then come back and go for the paddle. But it's, it's not easy, as easy as you think because as like, I was totally naive. I was like, Oh, you can probably paddle without a fin. It's like, it's not, not really that big of a problem. So you're kind of lucky that you had those two side fins, I guess that were sort of giving you some sort of direction because otherwise your board just wants to spin around. Yeah. Well, Link didn't have those and uh, we were just doing fishtails up the creek. You know, it was looked pretty funny, I reckon, but um. Yeah, that was, it is what it is. We just had to, we had to deal with it. There was no way around it. Yeah. It just sounds like it was another one of the challenges that you had, but yeah, I can't imagine paddling down a river without any fins. It definitely adds to the, uh, the whole experience, I'm sure. And it's something that you'll learn for next time. Um, But when you were sort of coming into the the final day and coming into the finish, was there, was there a massive sense of accomplishment, Lincoln? Like, did you really like sort of feel like you've, you've really done something? Cause I know when you do those type of challenges, you really feel like you've, I don't know, you've gone over that sort of hill in a way you've, you've created a new experience for yourself, but then you've got, then it opens up new, new challenges and new opportunities for you because you're like, Oh, maybe I can do so much more with myself. Yeah, definitely. Um, on the, a lot of the maps and stuff, it, it kind of alluded it to being, to being dead flat. So we woke up for ready for like a 50 kilometer dead flat day. Um, pushed through to lunch the first 30 Ks through the lunch. And it wasn't, it was enough kind of rapids to still kind of keep us moving. And then like, it, it's funny with an event like this is like from that last day, we knew we were going to get there that day. Um, so that kind of sense of accomplishment, there wasn't that huge moment of relief, but it was, it was evident that whole last day. And I think that last, the last 20 kilometers after lunch when Nick and I were just kind of paddling together and the sun was out and it was warm and there was little rapids and we were kind of getting sucked down the the river at a pretty good pace. Like it was, it was, um, it was pretty special and it was kind of like a, it was, yeah, it was a afternoon to kind of remember in that like there was a lot of kind of relief because on the night before nick said he he wasn't going to paddle again and i said i'd never go camping again so from that to suddenly like that after that last afternoon we were both talking about what we can do after this or where we can paddle and and when we're going to do it when we're going to try something like this again it was an amazing kind of change and change of perspective i think yeah, it definitely would have been a sense of accomplishment and you would have, yeah, changed your perspective and you would have felt like, yeah, you really achieved something. But Nick, did you have the same feeling when you finished, like you spoke about before, that you're, you're thinking about doing different challenges? Yeah, look, it's, it's the feeling that sort of dragged me back from day one to SUP, whether it was doing a 10-kilometre downwind or paddleback, you know, at home, is that feel that adrenaline rush of being scared of being out there, making it home kick of endorphins it's so addictive and then the bigger the paddle the bigger that kick is and um you know i was still carrying a kick from bass Strait, and then you know and then i had the same thing on in Boyder, you know to to get back after so many unknowns and so many obstacles thrown at us and being genuinely scared you know out there and, and but then making it back you, you know it's, it's just a it's a nearly an overwhelming feel, feeling on those last days and it's, it drags you back, you know, you get addicted to that. And, and, what's it, and what's it like paddling 
at night time because I've only done it a couple of times and it's a very different paddling experience for sure because you can't really see where you're going. Like obviously you, you've got a bit of light from the moon and that type of things, but I've done a couple of paddleback where I've finished in pitch black and you're like, I can't see where the runs are. Like I didn't realize how hard this was. Like you would have had to obviously have torches and lamps and head torches and all that type of thing to, to lay yourself the paddle. But like the whole feeling of paddling in the river would have been already an obstacle for you, but then actually paddling at nighttime in a river um, where you can't really see the rapids and that type of thing that you're paddling through. What's like, you're probably paddling like four hours at nighttime. Like, what was that like? We couldn't afford not to paddle at night. You know, we had to sort of do that to have any chance of making the four days, you know, we we're kind of calculating it. Because uh, we only had, LinkedIn mentioned before, we only had enough food to finish when we did. So, you know, if we took an extra day or two, we were actually in trouble. And so, because we lost five bags of porridge somewhere, I don't know, this things happen where the whole time we're looking for these these porridge it was like the holy grail we wanted our hot porridge and they just weren't there so anyway we ran short of food we had no choice but to finish then and so um you know i i, I was scared i wasn't happy about paddling at night through rapids that we'd never been through and so uh, we did take our time and i said to link we've got to stop on the side of every rapid and check it no matter what even if it looks safe let's make a deal we stop we walk over we make sure it's safe and then we go through and and that's what we did and so it turned out we did some of our best k's at night you know because it's just dark it's flat there's no wind um yeah so in those long stretch sections where there are no rapids we we did some good miles at night because we're warmer in our wetsuit gear than what we were camping and so it's nicer to be paddling than be freezing in the in the, you want to be tired when you go to bed. That's yep. how we justified keep on going. It's funny yeah. one night um, uh, there were there we come across uh, it, was, it was maybe a grade three rapid. Uh, it was fairly serious rapid. It was pitch black, and I'd busted my leg that day. I said to Link, "This one's too dangerous. You know, we can't go through this. Let's just port. You know, to port we have to undo our." 30 kilo packs, take them over, come back, get our boards, do all that. He said, yeah, okay, no worries. So while I'm mucking around, I turn around and he's paddling out and he goes, I'll see you down there. And so Link's gone straight down this rapid, you know, and there's like rocks and turns and things in it. And he disappeared. I couldn't see him anymore. And so I, was, I just went looking at all my gear and porting it and looking and I had my bung leg and I just went, I was just that over it by then. I just laid on my board and held onto the edges. <laughs> <laughs> like followed him down and just bounced off every single rock down to the bottom. That was a bit of a highlight, you know, we're having a good laugh after that. Yeah. So how hard was it after you got your leg injury um, to keep wanting to push down these rapids? Because that would have been a really mental obstacle for you as well. Well, I felt like it had been shot off in Nam or something. You know, I was like wobbling around the rocks and, you know, using one leg everywhere and, I had to stand up on the sup with one leg, you know, so side saddling and then pulling myself up. But I could put weight on it once it was, once I was standing up straight. I just couldn't bend yep. it. And so, um, yeah, it made it pretty difficult because, you know, I'd, I'd have to sort of get down on one knee and, and laying down and just, I was just like a human pinball going down those things. So um, it was interesting. And what did you do exactly? Did you get a massive cork in your leg or something like that? Was, it, was that the injury? Well, what happened? I fell straight, straight onto a rock on the front of my knee. And um, I didn't work oh. it out until I got back. But <laughs> I'd had a previous inju injury which caused a baker's cyst. 
And yep. so I burst that cyst. I hit my knee so hard. And so what happens when you do that? It, the fluid goes down into your calf. And um, so this happens over a few days, but the swelling, you get a lot of swelling from it. And that's why I was able to keep paddling. I had um, Voltaren that night and was at, the swelling went down. So the pain had moved from the front of my knee into my calf. So yep. by the time I finished, I was able to finish the paddle, you know, still hobbling around. But by the time I was driving home, my calf had blown up and I thought, so at this time I didn't know. So I thought, oh, I've been bitten by a snake or a spider. So I just, I went directly from Grafton. I didn't even come home. I, I rang up uh, Josh Carter, my uh, physio, surf life physio. I said, Josh, we need to rule out, you know, what I've done to my knee because I, I could be bit by a snake. You know, I'm, I, was, I was thought I was going to die by this point, Googling yeah, yeah. things, you know, what. That always yeah. leads to one part. Dr. Ray. Yeah, so, and he got me straight in there and uh, went through a few different things. And, you know, we were worried about a blood clot. So that was it. I was from there straight to emergency down at Pindara. And, uh, and they ran all the tests. And, yeah, luckily, out of, out of everything that could happen, that's the best thing that could happen. It was just this first baker's cyst. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like a, a nice experience, obviously, having the, the fear, obviously, of not knowing what you got bitten by because you're just out there in the wilderness, out there on the rocks trying to, to sun yourselves in the afternoon and or in the early mornings. You just don't really know what's, what's passing your way. But uh, Lincoln, you, you posted something here about the, the Clarence Gorge Rainbow Falls. Um, and these are like a pretty serious rapids that you guys are going down, like grade three, grade four. Um, from what I understand, are quite tough ones. And you were talking about going down as a, as a human pinball, Nick. But what was it like coming up to those rapids? And did you know that they were there before you hit them? Yeah, it's a funny one, right? So we, like our GPS actually failed day one. Um, but we had all these, we had all, yeah, we had all these paper charts and they're pretty well um, labelled on the on the charts where the grade grade three and the grade four rapids were and the big there was one i think there was one 10 meter fall and then one three meter fall um and a couple of two meters and obviously like with our experience um the low level of water you had no idea where the big ones are but it was without a gps etc like it was very hard to kind of figure out exactly like you knew the distance between them but you didn't know where they were and and it's, it's quite deceiving like especially some of them at night like you'd come up to them and they all look the same they all look little and that's what nick was saying is you had to make sure there was water at the bottom so you're not going to get sucked over the next one yeah so we had an idea where they were coming and and the first day i kind of dropped the ball a little bit with navigation as we'd look at the charts and like, okay that's all right there's a town there's a town on the like on the northern side of the river there and we'll know from there it's like a kilometer to the to the next rapid but the way that river is the town's actually over the ridge and you can't see it so you couldn't see anyone or anything and a lot of those kind of spots we learned we learned weren't weren't exactly there or or what we were looking in the the, the map we were following wasn't like an actual kind of scientific map it was a little bit obviously like impressionized so we knew where stuff was coming up but i think the the um the worst one was the first grade three rapid where we, we've come up to this one we knew one was coming we thought it was maybe five or six kilometers for another hour of paddling away and we've gone we've come up to this thing and that was that looks 
pretty full on. Nick's going, oh, would you go to, we'll go down this one next month. We've gone down, same thing, just pinballed all the way down, like ran square into the back of a rock. Come to the end, we're going, I think that's the, that's the first grade three one. And we're like, yeah, okay. Makes sense. So then we've, then we've gone, okay, we're, we're, we were five kilometers out. And when you're doing 50 Ks a day, five kilometers out probably doesn't sound like a lot, but like when you're looking for these rapids, it was, it was quite intimidating, right? Like I think the last night we were out there, we knew we wanted to get to the, the rainbow falls and I can't remember the name of the other one. So there's a big 10 meter drop and then there's a, another three meter drop. We wanted to get to them before nightfall and, we it's hard to stop at night because it's so cold to have dinner so we were stopping at like probably 5 p.m and having dinner just as the sun set and then going to paddle through so it was it was obvious that we were going to be pushing it to get there and nick made a really really good call to say no like like let's keep to our discipline let's keep to what we're doing so we stopped before the fall had dinner and got okay well, like our only option is to to attack them at night so we got up and then under the full moon, you can see, and like it, it, it takes, as you were saying before, with the night kind of paddling, it takes a little bit to get used to the, used to the lack of visibility. So we were, we were coming up to these falls and every turn we weren't quite sure where the waterfall was, but like you'd, you'd go down a little bit, stop and check and go down the next bit and stop and check. And like there's, there's no labels, there's no signs, there's no nothing. And we've come down this one and we knew there was a pool there and we've into the pool and gone, you, as soon as you got, went into this pool, you could hear the next waterfall. And it was like the rainbow falls at 10 meter drop. And you could, you could definitely hear it. And we were, we managed to pull up maybe five or 10 meters just before it. Um, portaged around that, climbed back into the, the canyon. That probably took like an hour. And we knew the next one was like another 900, like probably 900 meters up. So yeah back in back on our knees kind of drifting along to this next one and you could hear that one as well and it was quite daunting um knowing just having to make sure that every turn was the, the biggest fear is like there was a few times like nick was saying that we would get sucked over it not not sucked over but like you'd go to have a look and if you weren't disciplined to stop and fully check you could easily get sucked over so it was um it was quite intimidating at the time but when you kind of crawl around and climb over 10 meter waterfalls and three meter waterfalls. But I guess that, like, that kind of makes it right. Yeah. It sounds like it's a pretty challenging thing as well. Like obviously as you're fatiguing, you probably don't have the energy levels that you probably need and you are paddling in the dark and there's all these different challenges. Your GPS isn't working. And then you really, it was it really nerve wracking coming into these falls knowing that it was a 10 meter drop because Semi drops like quite a way and that's a kind of like paddle over Ether pools almost in a way because you're not going to make that on a, on a sup and if you do it's it's not going to be fun so was that how did you deal with that mental approach when you were coming into those rapids Nick? Yeah I mean that didn't leave my mind since word go since we very first left I was so concerned about going over the first, because you can't see the bottom of the rapids. That's the trick. So you don't know if it finishes into still water or if you have another extra bit. And so every time we were down one, I was just always looking for an out, like where can I get to, to grab a rock or something if this isn't the end. Until you can see that still water, you can see that, then you know you're eventually going to bounce and be okay down there. But we did, it got worse as we went on. So we were pretty tired when we hit, that was the last night. Uh, the 10 metre and the 3 metre. Um, so it sounded like 
thunder when we got into that, you know, the pool near it. And, and it, that would have been certain death going off that one. And it's probably stopping even there was a bit close for my liking in the dark. Um, but it, yeah, it, it's just something, I guess, your senses are just firing, you know, at that time, your anxieties are going, your fatigue's going. I think you're actually quite onto it and you're quite yeah. aware, you know what I mean? You, you're looking for every little danger, especially at that time. Yeah, it sounds like it's a quite a, a, quite a hectic experience. But um, Lincoln, what was it like, obviously, being out in nature in that environment? Because I know you've done a lot of different paddling around the world. You've competed in races, you've sailed, all this type of stuff, but you probably haven't done that much uh, wilderness paddling, I guess you could call it. What was it like being out in, the, in nature like that, camping on rocks, finding places to, to, to eat and, and to stop and to warm and, and all these different things that you probably were learning along the way, even though you had skills from previous to that? What was it like, obviously, hearing the sounds of the night, paddling in the moon? Like, was it kind of like a, I guess, like a spiritual experience in a way? Yeah, man, that's what, that's what kind of made it. Like, it was, it, was, yeah, it was so cool. Like just being able to put our skills to, into, into a different environment and be and feel exposed and feel kind of um, just dealing with so many unknowns. Like it, it was, it was, um, yeah, it was special. And as Nick said, man, like the whole way, like it was, you were pretty well adrenaline buzzed for four days straight, whether you were going to sleep and you're hearing sounds and going, Oh my God, what's that? Or you're seeing wild animals before you like went to bed and just, just all these little things. And you had these like just constantly on that kind of, that kind of adrenaline high, like it was, you're super alert and, and all over it. So there wasn't a lot of time to kind of sit and take anything in at all. Like it was, soon as you get up, soon as you could, soon as it was warm enough to get outside, it was make, make breakfast and go paddle. And then soon as you soon as we finished, it was, all right, let's go to bed. So it was, um, it was kind of I guess, spiritual, I don't know, but like in a different way, in a really kind of pushing testing way. And what was it like for you, Nick? Yeah. Like as far as getting into nature and you just can't get any more amongst it, you know, and it's the same with, the ocean paddles and bass, like that's, you, you can't get any more amongst it than, than doing that. You know I mean, you have your arms, that's what's going to get you home. You have, well, what made Nimboida special was, you know, we were unassisted. We had all our belongings in this little bag so far away from anything. So um, it is pretty special, you know, like it, and, and just all those feelings you get from being out there. And, um, you know, I, I reminded Link along the way that, you know, make sure you enjoy this because it's going to be over soon, you know, and that was one thing that uh, struck me from doing Bass Strait is, you know, once it's over, it is over. It's just all in the past. So you really need to enjoy that moment. And, you know, and, and we did that sort of, especially on the last day, like what Link was saying before, that was when it just really resignated where we were, what we were doing and what we were done, what was behind us. Um, just that feeling of, of, of being so deep into it. It's just unreal. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty cool experience. And when you got, did you guys get dropped out to the start of the river? Like, is there like a campsite that you go to and then you gradually make your way down? Because I know I read a little bit before I came on, there is like, it is like a, a river that a lot of people have paddled um, previously and like kayaks and that type of thing, but you guys were the first to ever do it on the SUP. Um, did you sort of have a good idea? Did you speak to anybody about the river before you paddled it? And when you got dropped off, like, was there a support crew to, to meet you at the end? Or was it just kind of like you guys got your key in your pocket and you sort of opened your car and you went? Yeah, um, 
It was dad actually. My dad dropped us off, um, so he was left, and I think the conversation was, "Oh, find reception somewhere along the way, and if not, we'll pick you up in four days' time." So we we actually tried to reach out to a few people about the river, but it's it's like a ghost on on the internet, man. Like there's bits and pieces and stuff, and there's obviously. Um, there's bits when the river's running at its full capacity, but I think because of the drought for so many years, like the river's been on that kind of barely doable level like it is now for so long yeah. that there's not a lot of kind of people out there we could find to talk to. Um, we probe national parks, everyone, and there wasn't a huge amount of information out there. So like while there, like there was a campsite at the start and, and at the end and stuff like it, and there's campsites along the way, but like you still felt like we, we we wanted to try and get more information but it was it was just hard so we were very much going on our own kind of gut yeah yeah no it sounds like it was a a whole journey i guess from start to end and it was all sort of founded i guess just on a little bit of passion a little bit of extra time in this covid period but i think you guys have made the most of it um so coming going forward you've got a few different things coming forward are you going to do it in the next six months are you going to do it the next year or is it when are you thinking about doing another one or is it when nick's body feels a little bit better nick yeah it's a little bit a little bit hinged on on the body um and then hinged on um you know the links happenings in in the sup world i suppose but uh you know, uh, the the end of this year isn't out of the question before it gets too hot. And then, um, yeah, as it sort of cools off next year might be the next window. Um, so not middle of summer, but, you know, maybe one of those areas where it's a nice nice temperature for a cushy paddle. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds a little bit nicer than... Uh, my, my toes are freezing just thinking about going down that Namboida River when you guys went down in minus five. But Lincoln, what's your plan going forward for the rest of the year? I know... Like I'm in a pretty similar situation to you. There's not, not a lot of stuff things going on, unfortunately, or there is, or we can't travel or, but what, what are you trying, trying to plan to do towards the end of the year? And I'm just back kind of doing, I'd like to do a few things like, like Nick was saying, we're still talking about a few different kind of paddles and stuff. And um, whether we go for, for another big one this year, or we kind of knock off a few little ones um, that's kind of up in the air at the moment, but I'm back doing a bit of sailing, um, still studying and, and just trying to, yeah, I guess fill in the time and as well as find passions like this and hobbies like this and just different challenges. Like it, this really opened my eyes to how many different things are out there like this, whether it's paddling down a river or it's, or it's running and, or whatever it is, there's a lot of different ways to kind of apply, I guess, all that training I've done over so many years to different challenges. Yeah, it's, I think it's really good uh, to make the best of this time when we're all sort of a little bit unsure of what's happening in the world. We can still make create these great opportunities for ourselves. So, fellas, uh, I really appreciate talking to you guys today about this challenge, and I'm sure we'll jump on next time once you guys get the uh, the next challenge up and going. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thank you, and I'll, I'll talk to you very soon. Cheers, guys. See you, both.